Um, let me just say, uh, I am honored to have the privilege to be able to come and just have the opportunity to open God's Word with you this morning and wrap up this series that we have been going through called Words to Live By, which is uh, the first time in, in my adult Christian life and that I have gone through a series like this where we have studied Paul's faithful sayings. And what I love about that is that th- there's always something new to discover and learn in the Bible. Amen? I mean, there's just something new. It never gets old. There's always something new to discover, something new to learn. And so I've really enjoyed this series as I look, as we've been looking at kind of the faithful things that Paul has wanted his protégés, Titus and Timothy, to know before he departed. He was on his way out in his own mind. He thought he was about to leave the building. Um, God had more for him, as we found out. But ultimately, as he was thinking through, what are the things that I want uh, some of my closest friends to know about uh, the, the, how to live their life and honor God. And so what I want to do real quickly is just kind of review where we've come from. So the first four that we have had, the first one we studied was in 1 Timothy 1.15, and it said this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. This one is just saying, proclaiming the gospel that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, of whom I am the foremost, I like to put my own name in there. That Jesus came to save me. I am one of the foremost sinners, and he loved me and saved me anyways. I'm thankful for the good news and the bad news that is there. The bad news is that I am a sinner. The good news is that Jesus came to save me. The second saying that we did was in 1 Timothy 4, 8, and 9, which said, While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. We say, you know, training ourselves, growing in our faith is something that we should do. We should train like athletes to grow closer to the Lord in our lives. It is something that God desires for us to do, and it is something good that we should pursue. The third saying came out of Titus 3, 8 and 9, where he says, This saying is trustworthy, and I want want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. This is a saying directed towards the church. What should the church be involved in? We should be devoting ourselves as a believer, but also as a church to doing good works. We should be avoiding things that would cause disunity and disruption to those things, like controversies or dissensions or quarrels, he lists there. And then the one we had last week in 1 Timothy 3, 1, He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he uh, desires a noble work. And in there we talked about how God calls some of us out to positions of being pastors and overseers and elders. And it is a good thing for people to be called into that work because it is a work that, that has lots of responsibility and lots of accountability before the Lord. And as a church, we should be devoting ourselves to those things. 
So today we're going to be talking about the fifth and last final saying from Paul. And this time Paul is talking to Timothy near the end of his life. And we see that, uh, we'll see that for the Christian, we have a hope that sustains us through hardship. So what I want to do is go ahead and turn everybody to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be reading verse 7 through 13. So let's stand in the honoring of God's word as we read this together. 2 Timothy 2, verse 7 through 13. Paul says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come to your word, Lord, your faithful and true word, God, we open it, we study it, we look at it. God, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us through it. Father, that it wouldn't be us uh, just reading and and just listening with, with open ears, but God, our heart would truly be open to receive what you would have for us today. That this isn't a moment for us just to come and out of routine necessity, come to a place and sing songs and listen to someone talk. But rather, God, out of a a true and contrite heart, we come to learn and to glean all that we can out of your word together in fellowship with one another. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In August 1914, a polar explorer named Ernest Shackleton boarded a ship called the Endurance and set sail for Antarctica, where he was planned to cross the last uncharted continent on foot. In January 1915, after battling his way through a thousand miles of pack ice and only being a day's sail short of his destination, the Endurance became locked in an island of ice. And thus began the legendary ordeal of Shackleton and his crew and 27 men. For 10 months, the ice-moored endurance drifted northwest before it was finally crushed between two ice flows. With no options left, Shackleton and his crew attempted a near-impossible journey over 850 miles of the South Atlantic's heaviest seas to try to get to the closest outpost of civilization. Their survival and the survival of the men they left behind depended on their small lifeboat successfully finding the island of South Georgia, a tiny dot in the land of a vast and hostile ocean. Shackleton and all of his crew would survive and be rescued on August 30th, 1916, two full years after they originally set out for the North Pole. Now, that is off the back cover of a book called Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. And the title of my message this morning is called A Call to Bold Endurance. 
a call to bold endurance. We read this and we think about what does it take in our lives as believers to endure hardship. In the passage that we just read, Paul is currently in that place of hardship in his life. He is in jail. He is being treated like a prisoner for doing nothing more than sharing the true words of life. And as he goes about and endures that, he's writing these letters to people. And he's doing ministry, even though that he is still locked up in chains. And so he's enduring these hardships. And if we know anything about Paul and his ministry, this wasn't uncommon. This was a routine thing for him to face, was endurance after trial after trial after trial. And he endured through those things. Endurance is defined as the ability to withstand hardship or adversity. The fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. I don't know about you guys, but when I think about the word endurance, often what comes to my mind is this picture of a, of a marathon race. You know, one of these, these really, uh, all I can think of is these like masculine races where they go and climb over walls and trail through you know, bob, barbed wire and these sorts of things. It's these, these types of races that we have and people pay lots of money to go and, and put themselves through these things and endure all the way to the end just basically to, improve, to prove to that themselves that they were able to accomplish a great feat. And Paul here gives Timothy these words to help him accomplish a great feat, which is just the fact of enduring, of holding on to the truth of God and the truth of the gospel so that no matter what happens to him, no matter what happens to his, uh, the church there that he's in charge of, that they can hold on and follow after the Lord. So in this passage, let's just start in verse 7 here. He starts out and he says this, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul makes his desire clear, and that is to think over what he's saying. Your translation may say it differently. may say consider or ponder. There's, there's, the, there's a depth in the, in the Greek here that is more than just think, but really consider these words. Think over what I'm about to say to you is what, he's, what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. Paul's desire is that Timothy would consider with the utmost importance the words that he was going to say. And I, I would say the same thing to us. Anytime that we come to the Word of God, we should consider these things with the utmost importance in our life. We should consider what God is trying to say through us and to us through His Word. We should come with reverence to God's word, understanding that this is the supernatural, inspired, infallible word of God. So Paul here encourages Timothy, think about these things. Don't just read them in this letter, but really ponder over them in depth what I'm about to tell you. And he says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And maybe in your life, maybe you're just you're kind of new to this Christian thing and you haven't really studied the Bible very much. And maybe you read the Bible and you think, I don't really understand what it's saying to you. And, and I, I, this, this verse is for you, okay? Let me just say this. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. If you are his child, <clears throat> you have the Holy Spirit in you who will help you discern wisdom from God's word. He gives you clarity. He gives you, uh, he gives you understanding in the Word of God. 
And so Paul says here, as you consider these things, God's going to give you understanding. Because here's what happens. We can understand God's word, and we can read it. Maybe it's plain and simple, but there's another aspect to this, which is the application of God's word. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in again and helps us understand how do we apply these things to our life? What is it that's going on in my life that God can help me with? And here's the reality. God speaks to us. But often the issue is we're not really listening. God is talking to us through his word, but we don't really hear him because we're not really listening. Let me just ask you this. Can you discern the yes and no of God in your life? Can you discern that? How, how do you go about discerning that? Well, there's lots of ways through prayer, circumstances, God opening opportunities and closing doors through the counsel of, of friends, through the counsel of, of other Christian believers. We can discern those things, but there are times where God just tells us yes and no. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. If we are being so careful and cautious in our life because we're trying to tiptoe to make sure that we obey every single thing, but yet we're not actually obeying the way and the direction that God leads us, then we're missing the point. There was a time in school when I was going through uh, undergraduate at Liberty University that um, I had to make a really kind of difficult decision about exactly what, what classes I was going to pursue. I had, uh, I had basically the ability to be able to do a double major, and I was really just praying about whether that was something I wanted to do. And I just had just been praying to the Lord for a little while about it, I remember one day I was walking to class, just, just still kind of thinking about this, and I, hear, I heard the Lord tell me, no. I heard God audibly say those words to me, no. It was one of the times in my life, I, there's been other times where I've had to really search and discern God's will in my life, but it was one of those times that I clearly heard God tell me not to do something. And I think for us, sometimes we, we, we're seeking after the yes of God, but we don't really want to hear the no of God. We don't want to hear him telling us, no, these aren't the plans that I want you to do. These, uh, this great idea that you have, no, that's not what I want you to do. We're always going after God for the yes, but we don't take time to listen for the no. Because here's the reality, even if we can discern God's will in our life, are we create courageously and actively acting upon it? Are we obeying it? Are we following it? Or do we just disregard it because it's not convenient? Or it's not what really what we want to hear? So he says here, this understanding in everything. And I think this is important for us to understand that, that we know that we have the, the words of God here that apply to every area of our life. There is not a question that we can have in our life that the Word of God cannot give us direction on. I think that, that's important for us to understand because sometimes you might think, my life is too complicated, 
this situation is just too complex. You know, God doesn't talk specifically about this type of situation. But in principle, and often in specifics, God teaches us in his word what he wants us to do and gives us discernment so that as we think over his words, as we look, God will give us understanding in everything. There is no area of life that God doesn't understand or talk about or give us the answers to in Scripture. But we have to seek after that. This book is, if you have it sitting at home and it's just sitting on the shelf, it's not going to do you any good. You've got to look at it. You've got to study it. You've got to read it. So in verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. So he says this, as you begin to think over what I'm going to say, and God's going to give you understanding, but then the next thing he says, remember Jesus Christ. Really, it is a call to stop and remember Jesus. And I, in my personal life, this has brought so much clarity to things that are, are going on. Oftentimes, when I feel like life is a little foggy and I'm not sure what to happen, if I will stop and remember Jesus and consider him, consider his words, consider what he did in his ministry, the priorities in his life, it gives me clarity in my life. And especially here, as he says, risen from the dead, the offspring of David is preached in my gospel. Not only to remember Jesus, but to remember his sacrifice and to remember his resurrection. And it gives us clarity because it is the preeminent fact in all of human history that there was a man, a God-man, who died and rose again. He's the most important figure of, of human history. And whether we change A.D. to anything else, or B.C., whatever, it still doesn't change the fact why zero is zero, and that's because Jesus came onto the scene. We have to stop and consider what Jesus has done for us. And I think Paul had this in mind. Every time he would face uh, a, a danger or an issue, he would understand that, listen, Jesus endured suffering. Jesus endured punishment. We don't serve a Savior. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That, that word sympathize, that means you feel sorry for because you identify with those things. We do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, in every way, has been tempted just as we are, but yet did not sin. Jesus, we, have, we serve a Savior who's intimately acquainted with suffering. Does that give you some comfort? I hope it does. Because it wasn't like God just lived in heaven and never suffered and never understood what some of the difficulties that we go through, but rather he sent his son here to earth so that he could understand. He could know oftentimes so much greater than we could what suffering is really about. And so Paul says in verse 9, says, For which I am suffering. Paul is bound with chains as a criminal. Paul's endurance, we know all the things that he went through, his shipwrecks and being stoned, being bitten by snakes, being uh, 
left in the sea. I mean, this was over and over and over again. I mean, chased out of town. He was whipped and, and beaten over and over and over again. And ultimately, he finds himself in jail. That's not a mission trip probably any of us would sign up to go on. That's not the kind of life that we probably would ever seek after. But Paul did it because he was in the pursuit of spreading the gospel to as many people as possible. And I love that he says here, I'm suffering, I'm bound in chains as a criminal, but he remembers this thing, that the word of God is not bound. And in his endurance, his ability to be able to endure these circumstances and these situations is, is I think, grounded in this fact. That he knows that despite what's going on in his life, the word of God continues to move forward. That no matter what happens in my life, even though my life might be terrible, the word of God continues to move forward. You know, we have and we hold in our hands here the word of God. And it doesn't take much reading of history to see how people have tried to destroy it. Doesn't take, you don't have to read too far back of leaders of nations who have tried to stamp it out, whether that's even in the first century church, whether that's in Germany or in Russia or in other parts of the world even today, have tried to stamp that out. But it didn't stop it, it didn't do anything. Because God's word is not bound by nations or people. It exists outside of that. And I love how Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it's sharper than, two -edged, than any two-edged sword. It's piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's nothing that will stop the Word of God. And we can find rest in that. We can find rest that God is doing something that his plan is bigger than our plan. And what he's going, and going to do doesn't depend on us. And maybe, I'm not sure how that makes you feel, but it kind of helps me relax a little bit. And sometimes I feel in my life that if I don't do this one certain thing, somehow God's plan is going to completely fall apart. But I've seen God show himself faithful in our weaknesses, that he was doing something greater than we could ever think or imagine. And nothing or no one or no country or nation or leader will ever be able to stop what he is doing in the world. And Paul here finds, solitude in, finds solace in that fact that God is working a great thing in the world. So verse 10, he says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's mission was to focus on preaching the gospel at any cost. Why? So that more people could hear it. They can't make a decision about something they don't know about. So that more people may hear about the life-saving grace of Jesus Christ that he would be able to share the eternal words of God with as many people as he could, and that as many people would listen, as many would become saved. 
You know, oftentimes when we're going through something difficult, we can understand that there's a purpose in it. It can help us endure. If we can understand that there's, there's a reason behind it, it will help us endure. And that story that I read of just the synopsis of Shackleton, what ended up happening was that all of them set out to sea. They set out into, into their boats, but they could not, could not face the waves and the wind. And so it basically beat them back until they were, they were stranded on shore uh, of the island there in, uh, in Antarctica. And basically, at that point, Shackleton and his, uh, uh, other captain that was with him and one other man, they set out in one sailboat, hoping to sail over 800 miles to find this little tiny island where there was a whaling uh, colony. And so what they end up doing is they set sail, and they're out there for days. And it's like eight days they're at sea. And they finally actually land on this island. But they end up landing on the wrong side of the island. They have to climb over a mountain to get to the whaling colony on the other side. And so finally, these, these whalers who are there, they're doing their normal thing, and out of nowhere, these other guys show up, and they're like, where in the world have you come from? Who are you? And he recounts the story to them, and they're like, we thought you were dead. We thought y'all were all gone. He's like, no, I'm here, and all of my men are still at, at shore. So we have, to, we have to go rescue them. And so when this happens, they, they do two other rescue attempts, and those, other, those first two rescue attempts fail. They go, and they get stuck in the ice. It's like, are they ever going to make it there? And then finally, on the third attempt, the conditions are right, and they're actually able to get there. And when they do, they find, he finds all of his men are alive. They waited patiently because they had hope that their captain and their leader would return for them. And I say that to you this, here we stand in the midst of trial. And, and as we look at the first century church, you know, our, our trials are nothing like theirs. But when we go through trials, we can understand that we have someone who is coming back for us. That God doesn't leave us alone. He goes with us. He goes, he stays with us. So we're in a place where even when things look difficult, know that God is coming for you. He is with you. He identifies with your suffering, and he's going to give you the strength to be able to hold on. We've often heard Romans 8, 28, which says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I say that. It's often quoted by people who are not really called according to his purpose. Okay? But if we are seeking the things of God and seeking to do his will, we can hold God to this promise that if we are going after him and his will in our lives, that he will cause all things to work together for good. And let me just give you a personal testimony here. This has lived out in my life. Things that were terrible, that were completely of, not, of my own undoing, I did not do anything that was just completely done to me. God has worked those things out for my good and my family's good. I have seen this happen again and again and again. Even as a child, I had things uh, happen in my family that just I wondered, like, God, why, why are you allowing these things to happen? And it's been times where I've been able to have a conversation with someone who maybe struggled or had a similar issue that God has brought that to my mind. So now you can understand what they're going through. 
because you went through that. God has allowed me to go through things and has brought that full circle around and caused it and used it for good. It isn't sometimes that God desires that we go through those things. It isn't that he desires that we have these struggles, but what the promise is there is that he will use them for good things. And so finally we get to verse 11, which is the last trustworthy statement, faithful saying of Paul's here. What I want to say is I, I love this one because it is so rhythmic. It is so, um, it, it, is, it is probably most, some scholars think that it's a quote from an early hymn or just something that, that believers would sing to themselves as they were thinking about, you know, having to endure terrible hardships. You know, some of them were, were crucified, some of them were beheaded, some of them were fed to lions, some of them were used as human torches. We cannot identify the struggles that the early church went through. And oftentimes they would develop these songs just to give them encouragement. <clears throat> and so this song says, as if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is an early creed or, or, or hymn from the early church. And I, I love just thinking that there were men and women who probably were about to pay the ultimate price for their faith. And maybe they were singing those same words that we're reading today. And so there's five phrases in this passage, in this saying, and I want us to look at these. In verse 11, it says, the saying is trustworthy and true. It starts out the first phrase is, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. The early church endured so much persecution from Jews, from Gentiles, from Romans, from barbarians. This was a phrase intended to help them understand that, listen, even if God calls you to the ultimate sacrifice, you have the ultimate reward waiting for you. And I think that's what the, that's what the world doesn't understand about us, even in this midst of, of COVID, where you have people running around in fear for, for death. As a believer, we walk into the greatest reward when we die from this earth. We pass on to go to be with the Lord. We walk into the greatest reward. So it isn't something that we should fear. It's something eventually that all of us will face. And God will welcome us home. So even in the early church, this wasn't something, death was not something that would stop them. And even in today's society, there are other parts of the world where the church is still persecuted, even to the point of death. It does not dissuade them. Because they know, just as it says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. So I encourage you to read up on the early church. It doesn't take long. I mean, you can find some books online. Go in there and just, just learn what their life was like. The things that they had to face. Because I'm sure they held fast to the fact that we will also live with him. That true life awaits for us after we die. And if you understand, if you have a big view of what God is doing, 
If you kind of zoom out, just like on Google Maps there, you can kind of zoom in, you can also zoom out. If you zoom out on God's plan for us, God's plan for salvation, God's plan for redemption is really a plan of restoration. He's bringing things back to the way that they were at the beginning. And what were they like at the beginning? You have Adam and Eve. They had things that they had to do. They had jobs. But they were in unique fellowship with their creator. That's what God desires for us, is that unity with him, intimacy with him. God's overarching plan is one of restoration. It's to bring his people back to that place again where we messed up, where we made the mistake. But this time when we get there, guess what? We have learned our lesson. And we're going to appreciate all that he brings and gives to us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This idea of everything that we have in life, all the good things, the friendships, the fellowship, the, 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 the marriage, the relationships, the, the, we look at creation and we see how beauty it is. It is all a reflection of God and his perfection. So use this illustration of, and First Corinthians does, of a reflection in a mirror. And in their mirrors back then weren't nearly as good as ours. But the promise is that he says, now I know in part, Paul writes in First Corinthians, but then I shall know fully. My favorite part is this part at the end. He says there, even as I am fully known. You ever been driving down the road and you take your sunglasses off because they're dirty and you just kind of clean them and then you put them back on? Or maybe you just, your regular eyeglasses, I used to wear eyeglasses back in the day, and you just clean those and, and then put them back on. And that feeling when you're able to see, you're just like, oh, that's better. I just feel like that's the kind of feeling that we're going to understand when we see in life and we see the good things happening in this life and they're all a reflection of God and his perfection. When we finally get to be with him, we're going to be like, oh, that's better. That's how it should be for us. That's how life should be. And as we go through this life, we know that there is injustice. But we also know that there is a righteous judge coming. We know that there are wrongs and there is trouble and there is tribulation happening. And we see people suffering when it's not anything that they've done. And those should bother us because that isn't what God wants. God wants justice. He wants truth. He wants there to be things to be right. And so it's all a reflection of what we will know in full, in its entirety, one day. And I love this last little part. It says, then I shall know fully. And can you imagine fully knowing God? As much as we come and we sing and we feel him and we, he moves in our hearts, but to experience his fullness. And then Paul says, even in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 13, 12, he says, even as I am fully known. Now here's, here's the crazy part to me, right? That, that God, in his, in his omnipotence, knows us fully, every thought, every bad intention of our heart, 
everything that we have ever done, good and bad, and desires us and loves us. Can you understand the rest that would come with being fully known and fully loved? Because we live in a world where the love of other people is so dependent on what we do. How people treat us, how much people love us is dependent on what we do for them. But church, I'm telling you, I'm thankful that is not how God's love works for us. He knows us and he loves us. To find rest in that he fully knows us and fully loves us. God knows you and he loves you. Verse 12 as if we endure, we will also reign with him. So the first phrase is, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. So there is this call to endurance. To hold fast. To hold on in this life. I know sometimes we may you know, get a picture of life from social media where things ought to be amazing and awesome. And I used to call it to my students back when I was a youth pastor, I used to call it like energy drink Jesus. Because somehow there's a view out there of Jesus that somehow he's supposed to maximize my life. Like he's supposed to give me everything that I could ever want. But that's not the kind of sacrifice that Jesus is calling us to. He knows life is going to be hard, and that's exactly what he told us. He told us that if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. So we have to hold fast. And the promise there is if we endure, we will also reign with him. So our call is to endurance. It is a bold call for us to endure whatever life throws at us and to know that we have served him well. And the promise there is one of reigning. So also, we'll, we will also reign with him. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians <clears throat> that this, this crown represents authority. So there is some aspect of if we have endured the hardship, that he will grant us authority in the next life. And it's not just any authority. It is an imperishable authority. It's something that cannot be taken away or ruined. And it's a great treasure for us to show, as we show ourselves faithful by enduring to the end, that God will reward us. Now, I don't know what we'll do with those crowns. Probably lay those back down at his feet and give those things back to him because of his great love for us. But there is a reward for us who endure. Then verse 12, it says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. So there is this great promise before that if we endure, we will also reign with him. But then the next, next phrase says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. So it's a warning here. So it's a promise of something good, but also a warning. Say, listen, if we deny him, he will deny us. And maybe you're asking, what does that mean? What is this denial? What kind of denial is that talking about? Well, in the early church, there was a great schism in the church where after just undergoing, you know, years and years and years of persecution, there were so many Christians who had denied their faith and walked away because just to save their own life. 
And the church really thought, well, should we welcome these people back? After things, uh, Constantine kind of came on the scene and things settled down and it kind of became accepted to be a Christian, these people started coming back and there was a great schism in the church about whether they should accept them back or not. A lot of debate about it. Ultimately, they did accept them back. I think that was the right decision. Because I think we see two examples in Scripture here of what this denial is talking about. I'm going to use the two examples of Judas and Peter here. Both of these disciples, they they followed Jesus, they saw him teach, they saw him do miracles. They experienced him in a relational way that we, we never will. Yet Judas saw all these things and ultimately turned his back and rejected Jesus as the Messiah and sold him out. Now Peter, sawing all these things, saw these same things, followed Jesus all the way up to the point where he was arrested and ultimately denied him three times. But yet he was restored by Jesus. Now I think this points to two different cycles that happen in our lives as believers. Or I should say two different cycles, one of those for believers and one of those for unbelievers. For, for the believer, someone who really knows Christ, listen, the reality is we are going to sin. There will be sin in our life because we are fighting a battle against the flesh. There will be sin, even to the point possibly, in the case of Peter here, of denying that, that, they had any, that he had any relationship with Jesus. But there is a... The cycle goes on to be repentance and then restoration. You have to understand that, that the key in the cycle of the believer is, yes, there is sin, but ultimately there is repentance and then restoration. As we look at this, we see this pattern in the Old Testament with God and his people. They would rebel against God. There would be hardship and difficulty. God would, would save them, deliver them, and then they would run back to him. That is a cycle that goes on today in our hearts. But in the, in the cycle of the unbeliever, these people who deny and turn their back on Jesus, there is this time where maybe they may do some things that, are, that Christians do. Maybe they may attend church. Maybe they may read their Bible. They might even do works in Jesus' name. But ultimately, they end up rejecting him and walking away. It is a denial of them turning their back and a rejection of Jesus as Messiah. There is no repentance. There is no seeking restoration. Their rejection is a sign of their unbelief. So there is no restoration with God because they don't belong to him. There is no restoring something that was never there to begin with. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for Peter's example here. I think this is why it's in Scripture for us, because we know there are going to be times where we are going to fail God. There are going to be times where maybe we make the wrong choice. But church, I tell you that when we do that, we can seek after God as the Holy Spirit brings conviction in our life, <clears throat> as he Seeks, as we seek forgiveness from God, as we seek to restore our walk with him. And Jesus himself even said that there will be people out there who do great things, but ultimately aren't really known by him. What's the difference here? There's a restoration 
to our relationship with God that happens through repentance. Sin will happen in this life. Just know it. That's why I love Diedrich Bonhoeffer's quote there. Now, sometimes we get so stuck in the cycle of like, I got to keep myself holy and pure, and we should pursue holiness. And I'm not saying that we should not. But, but what I'm saying is sometimes we do that to the detriment of actually obeying the will of God because we're so scared, we're so timid. God is calling us to be and to go places that are difficult, to endure things that are hard. And so finally, the last kind of phrase four here, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So what is this talking about? You know, we were denied, you know, if we deny him, he'll deny us. And then it goes, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Well, I, I want you to, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but there's sometimes moments in your life where you just feel like your faith is gone. And you're just kind of hanging on by a thread. You're like, God, I don't understand what's happening here. And I, I think this is important for us to understand that in life we will have moments like that. And in those very moments, it doesn't change anything about God. It doesn't change that he himself is faithful by his very nature. He will never quit. He never fails. He never grows tired. He never grows weary. His strength never runs out on us. His love is steadfast towards us. So even when we struggle, even when our faith just feels like it's running on empty, God's still there. And if you've been a believer very long, you know that's just kind of part of the cycle. There are moments in life where we, we feel like we're walking on the mountaintops with the Lord. We're, you know, we're, 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 we're spending time with him. We, we are doing those things. And there's times where maybe you just feel like, God, I'm not, are, are you here? Can you hear me? Do you know what's going on in my life? And I'm thankful that he gives us this promise here, that even when sometimes we feel like our faith is gone, he remains faithful to us. And then the last phrase, it says there, for he cannot deny himself. That if we truly belong to him, he can't reject us. Even if we feel like our faith is gone, if we truly belong to him, he cannot deny himself. God isn't like us. Aren't you thankful for that? He's faithful. He loves. He's true. He's right. And he holds on. So I just want to encourage you this morning as we close. Maybe you're going through a, a time of difficulty. Maybe you're not sure where you are in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're close to him. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're wandering. Maybe you're questioning God's faithfulness in, in whatever you're, you're going through right now. Let me encourage you just to keep pressing forward. Look at this example from Paul here and his example to endure in times of difficulty. And, and I hope that this little phrase, this little song, I like to think of it, will come to your mind. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. I pray that that, that kind of sticks in your, your mind as you keep pressing forward because God will demonstrate his faithfulness. Whether that's in this life or the next, he will demonstrate his faithfulness to you. So don't give up. 
So this morning, if you're going through that difficult time, you need to come to the altar. I, I'm, I invite you to come. If, if you've never come to the place in your life where you've understood your need for Jesus, why you need him, maybe you've never come to the place where you've been truly restored to your relate, to right relationship with your creator. Let me just say this. Coming to faith in God is easy and difficult. Sometimes we like to water it down just to kind of saying and praying a certain prayer. And it is just that simple, but it is so much more. There is an admission for us to understand that we are sinful and that God isn't, and that our sin separates us from God. There is a belief where we trust in him to be our savior. And there's a confession where we place him as the Lord of our life and we live for him. If that's you today, because I'm leading this last song, this invitation here, let me just say, I won't be able to stand down front, but the altar is open. If you need someone to counsel you, you know, tap somebody on the shoulder next to you or hang around after the service, I'd be glad to talk to you. But whether you need someone to counsel, whether you need to pray, the opportunity will be here. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful. Lord, have you have demonstrated your unfailing love towards us. God, you have demonstrated in our own lives, God, how you have been faithful when we have not been. God, I pray for those who are enduring something difficult right now. Lord, that they would be able to hold fast to you. Lord, that this example of Paul, of the difficult life that he went through, would be an example to us, Father. And in this, in this little phrase that we have with this faithful saying, God, that, Lord, that if we live for you, if we hold on strong, we will be rewarded. And God, I just pray that this morning, if anyone needs to have some time with you, Lord, to make a decision or is struggling with something, that they would seek someone to pray with them, Lord, as we close and just have this time of decision. We pray all this in Jesus' name.